It's LOI Weekly, as you've never seen us before, and that is because you've actually never seen us before. We used to be a podcast, but now we're a lot more than that. We're on YouTube and we're live on TV. This is our fourth season, and for episode one of season four, we have myself, Johnny Ward, and Dan McDonald as ever, and we'll have Paul Corey for the second half of the show. But most of all, Dan, we have hope. Hope for a new year. Well, we have hope every year. Yeah. I mean, Added hope. We've, we've maybe renewed reason for hope this year. But it depends. Why is that? Well, I think, you know, we've had a winter that's had a fair bit of change. I think, you know, <clears throat> normally at the start of every League of Ireland season, we talk about got a, such a long break. But it's a bit different this time. Well, maybe just from the reporting perspective that, you know, we had a, a doll hearing in December, which was very much focused around the League of Ireland. We had a complete rebirth of, at the top of the administration of Irish football. We have sort of new faces to the forefront of the league. Now, they still have a bit of work to do, you think, to completely convince people to win them over. I'm talking about Niall Quinn, who's at the forefront of things now. And, you know, a new board of the FAI, a suggestion that the league is going to be to the forefront of Irish football going forward. So that is the hope. The flip side is there's always a bit of uncertainty to go with it too. And, like, this is a big year, but we also don't know what the next year is going to hold. We don't know that the All-Ireland League... There's a lot. I mean, even in the time that we've been doing this show, like over three years, we've sort of, uh, we've covered a lot of various um, false dawns or maybe... Ups and downs. A lot of ups and downs and a lot of sort of the similar frustrations that would be aired every year about where the league stands in in the sort of the, the, the I know, the, the food chain of Irish football. Whereas now there is hope that things may change, but at the same time, I mean, we're not maybe going to go into the first division and all that stuff too much this week. Well, we don't um, know how many teams are in the We don't time, know when so, it starts. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, which is, a, yeah. which is an, an initial problem that we're so dealing with. So the first division is grand. But, but, so there's obviously a lot to go on. Mm. Um, but I, I still think generally, I think the discussion about where we go, there's more people involved in it now. So hopefully... What about you and I, though? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah we've, we've come a long way, so We've come a long way. Um, yeah. We've also a very new part of the show, which I have to say, this was, this was your idea. I actually work in racing, but Dan said, well, this is what they do on racing TV and make look on Sunday. And uh, it's a nice little idea you got here. Well, I mean, it's not exactly the most original idea in the world. It's just like mm. talking points. For the week, but it might just add some structure to our debate as opposed to sort of a the new dawn. Of, Let's start. Well, what is the new dawn? Well, we've sort of gone there, really. Yeah. I mean, there is. Um, I mean, I was at the, the League of Ireland launch last week. Now it was in Abbottstown as opposed to the Aviva, presumably because I'm not sure if they can. You know, I'm not sure if the, the funds <laughs> are there to do the big launch anymore. There's big but Nile. They had Niall yeah. Quinn meeting all the players. He's at the centre of Irish football now, and. Look, last year we would have spoken about the visionary group that Niall Quinn was involved in, along with Roy Barrett, who's now the chair of the FAI board, along with Gary Owens, who's now the, the interim CEO of the FAI. And their document wasn't particularly inspiring. Um, yet, was it a bit waffly? Well, they also claimed they took 79 pages out of it. So, I mean, if that mm. was waffly, 79 pages more might have added more to it. They claimed they took out some of the best stuff because they didn't want their ideas to go to other people. But... We don't know. The honest answer is that we don't know about them. But what we do know is that there actually is, uh, I think, an influential figure who can open the doors of power and actually advocate for the league in a way that probably wasn't to the forefront of the FBI hierarchy before. Now, probably. Well, no, definitely. And we know that. And yeah. I think that what I've been encouraged by is just hearing some of the early inquiries they've made and discussions they've had with people about maybe going to UEFA, figuring out funding streams for the league, actually figuring out what the league 
was was sort of costing to run, you know, how much money was it generating. We didn't actually know this. We didn't know. And like as I, said, I always go back to this, like in years to come, there will be a documentary made about this era or the decade just gone of Irish football. I'm wondering mm. how was this tolerated? How did this happen? Like how did everyone end up just sleepwalking into whatever they they, they walked into? And now um, you do have people at the forefront who I said didn't impress a lot of people in the league last year and I think they need to engage and speak and get out there with the clubs and convince them that actually they're in it for the right reasons that they are actually batting for the league with sponsors and because like you know there's a new title sponsor needed at the end of this year um, there's discussions about the format the structure like this is basically a gateway year like 2021 as it stands we don't know who's going to be governing the league we don't know who the sponsor is going to be we don't necessarily know are we building towards an all Island league or not mm. So it is a year that it, there's a lot going to be decided. And again, you hope, we just come back to that word, that you have the right people at the mm. forefront of it. But um, they've got a job in their hands and I do hear that they've probably, um, you know, there's certain things they've inherited that maybe they weren't prepared for before and they're finding out about them now. It looks like we've been sponsored actually, kind of wearing the same branded the, the, the shirts F, today. Yeah. But um, just to point out, we actually haven't been sponsored. We're just 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 pure coincidence. Then. No, but you're yeah. obviously open for it. Absolutely, if, if at Absolutely. all possible. What are we doing for number two here? I think we're looking at the the simple case of the title race yeah. and um, the title battle. The title battle or the two horse race. We probably could have gone for it because that's what it is. Yeah. Um, unless you want to sort of throw in a wild card option for me. But I, I was actually thinking of this earlier. The only conceivable chance, this is a million to one, the only conceivable chance we could have a title race, both started the season unbelievably well defensively last season. I think they'd like, they conceded four goals in their first 12 games or something crazy, right? And then uh, they got a couple of injuries, Cornwall in particular. If the likes of Glenn McCauley, who was a completely unknown player, really, ex-Liverpool, is off the charts for Bowes and all of a sudden scores 20 goals, but realistically, you're, you're clutching at straws. No, like, I just think it's going to be the same as you know every season, that when you get to April, May, and this madly dysfunctional fixer list that we have, and when teams play a, a serious amount of the games in a short period of time, the, the two clubs with the most resources are just going to power away. But they can afford to stay overnight and just do little things which may not seem that much in isolation, but over the sequence of a league, they mean everything. So I think that Dundalk will power ahead with Rovers and really there's no argument, I think, to be constructed that anyone else will, will challenge them. Um, I mean, b between the two, I mean, I mean, last strengthened more though, actually. So, look, Sidon Dock have lost McGrath and Benson. Mm. They've they brought in signings. Rovers haven't really lost anyone that you'd be that worried about. But have they made the requisite signings up front, for particularly? No, I mean, I think like Graham Burke is going to be there for a full season, so that will have a sort of a new, new signing impact. Reese mm. Marshall, they've signed Liam Scales. None of these players may necessarily start the season. Burke obviously will. Well, Jack Barnby um, there for the full season. That's another question. Like, I'm leaning towards Dundalk marginally in the title race, and I think it's You'd because... You've made your mind up at the end of the show. Um, I know, I've made my mind up. Yeah. I mean, you generally tend to make your mind up by April who's going to win it. And um, I, I think that, you know, that experience of having won the league repeatedly, uh, like, you think about it, Cork eventually won it on their fourth go, their fourth challenge. Rovers did have a proper crack at it last year, but... You, you kind of wonder, is it a one more year thing? And if someone like Jack, who's so key to how they play, if he possibly goes in July, like these are the factors that I'm thinking of that might just pop it towards. And Doc, a bit of an unknown. They've gone outside, they've gone to Europe, they've signed a guy from Serbia. I think they're looking at others. They may bring in someone else, Cammy Smith from Scotland, who's meant to be a very good player. All the question marks about betting these people in, they, they naturally you have to ask that, but they still have a lot of serial winners there. This brings us to our next little segment here. Uh, we have a movement now in the league that used to be a football club. Bohemians, obviously, football is kind of 
you know, it's mm. part of something of an aside to Bose, actually, now. It's kind of more of what they do in the community and this amazing development today with the away jersey, which we've had a six-day countdown to. But they do look in a, you know, this is a, you got to say it's a nice jersey and all that. What do you make of it, actually? Yeah, I mean, it's a great yeah. jersey. I mean... One-time football it's, club it's, Bohemians. It's, it's generated an absolutely huge response and a huge What about reaction? their new beer? Um, looks suspiciously like another beer that nobody does, will drink anymore. It Hopefully does. It with it's better. sort of like... Uh, Do we, we don't have the beer, I think. Uh, no, no, we don't. Bose Light, it's yeah. called. I wonder what beer it might actually mm. look like. They but, are kind of my fancies to push hard for third at the very least because I think they're solid and you can trust Long and Crawley to kind of get the job done. It's a big squad. It. That's yeah. the only thing. And like, you know, like Callum Thompson's come home from Wolves. He's a player to watch by all accounts. Very quick. Um, you, know, you mentioned McCauley. You know, Kieran Kelly, there's a lot of bodies there and you know, in particular positions they're actually very well stocked. But that's going to sort of bring its own challenges. Um, and I think like we're, we are looking at best of the rest as a sort of our, our talking point beyond the, the top two. And I mean, Pats have done okay. Um, again, they've gone outside the league. Derry have gone what outside have the league. What have you made of Pat Simons, actually? Because, you know, they've, I suppose they've, they've used their Scottish contacts a bit um, with regard to, um, you know, the assistant manager and all that. But it's... Uh, Stephen O'Donnell was ruthless. He got rid of, like, the guts of 10 players almost straight away. A it purge. was a purge. And it's a great word, purge, isn't it? it, it, it there's always yeah. something more dramatic to it than actually bringing people into an office and telling them they've been released. Yeah. But at the same time, it sounds like, you know, purge. he let them all go at once, yeah. uh, which, he, which he didn't. But And some of them actually stuck around. But, yeah, I think Pat's and Derry actually I put them in a similar boat that they've both to try and catch up at the top two they're even they've gone well. they've gone outside the league to try and take a punt and hope that there's a Gary Twig or a mm. Joseph Van Dahl or someone who just ignites because I don't think they're going to be able to compete for with Dundalk and Rovers for the best players in the league and they have to go outside and hope to get lucky and that's that's the like one of the problems that we face with the league still is the distance between second and third it's been huge in the last couple of seasons albeit Cork been replaced by Rovers and I think it's going to be the same. I'm reading stuff today about it's a problem across Europe, the dominance of certain clubs and certain leagues because of European money and we are definitely in that boat here. So best of the rest, I think it's going to be tied between those three clubs. I don't see anyone else competing for time. I do like this one beyond the pale because of the dominance in the sort of the eastern seaboard with Cork City's uh, bizarre uh, demise over the last year or two where they've gone from a position of unbelievable strength to probably, yeah. you know, basically this season I think the minimum they'll be looking for is to survive but it's hard to see them doing I've, an awful lot else. I've no idea what Cork going to be like mm. this year. You know, and the so West thing you have obviously Sligo Rovers who would be hoping to push on but essentially it's all dominated by teams. Yeah, look on these like goals. Waterford is again, there was kind of question marks over where their structures were at. Um, now, we should, should obviously mention Shelburne, obviously, have come into the mix as well, but within the Pale region. But I think you need a sort of a national spread. And the two Munster clubs for me, Cork and Waterford, it's, it's plausible that they will struggle this year. Um, and Finn Harps, of course, have tried to bring in some players as well, too, and, and bring in Barry McNamee and, and try and stay up. But it's, uh, there's no doubt that there's sort of an East Coast power at the moment. And for a national league, that, that sort of creates its own problems, I think. Another East Coast power coming after the break in the shape of Paul Curry. Welcome back. It's now time for the PC part of the show. Paul Curry's in the house. Hi, How are you, PC? Yeah, really good. Keeping really well. You came back to the league three years ago, 2017. Um, I actually had to ask you this beforehand because you made such an impact that I couldn't actually remember because of your injury and all that. And it was mm. like, but it does seem like um, it's, it's, it was three long years considering you weren't really involved. But what's your take on the league being in those three years? Because you left obviously as a UCD player, you came back. Um, lots of high hopes for the league subsequent to Dundalk in 2016 and all that and as Dan said earlier on the show lots of highs and lows yeah lots of highs and lows and 
probably, um, you know, my own opinion of the league probably shaped quite differently from my time at UCD because I think when you're in UCD, you're, you're in quite a bubble. Mm. Um, stepping back and signing for Shamrock Rovers is obviously more expectations and you probably get a, a better insight into into the league and how it's run and particularly being at a club like Shamrock Rovers um, and being able to compare that to say my time at Sheffield Wednesday in Northampton um, you know it was good to see that it's run to a level of professionalism um, and I think we've in particular with the likes of Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers they've gone from strength to strength uh, particularly when you look at Shamrock Rovers off the pitch and the facilities they've put in place um, not only the stadium but the training ground um, and even Steve McPhail going in as director of football they've got the right people in probably the right positions um, so that's pleasing to see and if you could obviously there's restrictions in regards to the finances about the league but if you could get a few more into that bubble and into that I guess practice well then you'll be looking at serious serious growth you say that though like he, he said professionalism there there are still clubs in the league that are probably a long way from being actually professional in terms of mm. the way the players even train stuff like that the money that's coming in um, and you see John Caulfield kind of looking for a really compressed 10 team professional league you know you would often make the point that we're as strong as our weakest link and our weakest link is still pretty weak even in the Premier Division mm. yeah like this is like you know, we, we have to wrestle with some difficult decisions. And John Caulfield's always had that view. I think a couple of years back, I think he was almost talking about having an eight-team Premier Division once everyone met certain standards and criteria. And, like, I didn't necessarily object to that line of thinking. Like, I do think that being a Premier Division club should stand for something in terms of your facilities, the number of professionals, whatever it might be. But at the same time, you have to be conscious of the language you use here that's really, like, disrespectful or, uh, you know, disparaging towards smaller clubs in the league who can rightly point out that, you know, it's like a big game of past the parcel here. Some mm -hmm. of the clubs at the top, you know, it's almost like the music stopped when the European money came in. And that's allowed them to push on and strengthen Absolutely. You know, whereas we went through this cyclical period. Amazingly, like, around 10 years ago, people used to say one of the strengths in the league was that a different team won the league every year. But the fifth was, that's because everyone went bust after around two years, of, I mean, within two years of winning it. Whereas now you have a certain stability and the clubs that are really sort of being st the squeezed ones, squeezed middle as such, is like, is the clubs that are, are caught between a bind of, well, do we push the boat out and try and get closer? Mm. Or what is the cost of doing that? Mm. Now, I do think at some stage, like hard decisions have to be made like you have a situation where you have a short season because of the concerns of some of some smaller clubs you have you know clubs who don't pay players in pre-season that's most of the first division you know players in amateur contracts and i think you have to have a standard of professionalism at the top and that means maybe at times saying to clubs if you want to be promoted into our leading division you need to meet some standard, but you can't mm. just cut them adrift completely either. There's almost a balance to be found between the two. Does it anger you, Paul, though, when you think um, of what's you know come to light over the past year or so? And in terms of the challenges of League of Ireland clubs like Sligo Rovers, who had to basically scrap for money to survive every year, and they're doing it as prudently as they can, but essentially with clubs not really getting any proper prize money and almost looked down upon um, from the FEI hierarchy, that I would argue that we've actually done very well in the circumstances. And where could we be if, if there were actually a bit of belief behind the whole thing? Yeah, of course, you know, you have to look at what's been made available to clubs, and at times that's been very, very little. Um, and obviously, I'm still in, in very much a mindset of only recently being a player and you have to think of the player's perspective and, and what that's meant for certain individuals, you know, not being able to tie people down on long-term contracts. If you look at positives, you know, long-term contracts for players, I mean, two, three-year contracts have been handed out in, in particular the last 12 months mm. is, in, is particularly encouraging because it means that if we're not 
keeping a hold of the best talent, well then at least clubs are commanding prices and they're commanding fees for players. They might not be enormous, but it's meant that they've been able to, I guess, grow in certain um, shapes and forms. But of course, um, you don't look back too fondly when you hear of the stories with the FAI and you hear of maybe what has been withheld from clubs and preventing the league from growing because... Well, there was a situation where they, they didn't know how much the title sponsor was putting in because of a confidentiality agreement, which is mm. utterly, like Dan's on about that book that might come out. It sounds absolutely preposterous. Mm. It does. And Information being withheld. Yeah, of course. And the clubs were probably so downtrodden they didn't know the difference. Of course, and, and then you look around the, the grounds and you, you look at the facilities that are on show and in certain, certain circumstances it isn't good enough. Um, even going into certain dress rooms around the ground to be of an unbelievable standard. Even when you compare it, I would have been around certain League Two clubs in the UK and they'd be streets ahead, absolutely streets ahead of some of the facilities that are on show. And that's... You know the FAI have to take um, you know a certain element of responsibility for that, but that's reflecting. Let's look forward and let's hope that better things are to come. Yeah, we obviously have a new electorate having uh, voted in a new government, whatever that may be. We're just hopeful that football will be a benefactor uh, from the new government in time. But uh, let's talk about the weekend to come, Dan. Bowes Rovers, great start. I would argue it's mad that this game isn't on Friday night for apparent security reasons. Three and a half thousand people at a game, we can't police it. I think that's absolutely nuts. It's on Saturday anyway. Can't wait for the game one way or the other, but you yeah. must be looking forward to it. The, the highlight of the weekend. The old, the old fixture computer. I actually don't like it as the first game of the season match, to be honest. You I don't think need a big Bowes game. Bowes Rovers is a big game at any point, and I mean, Bowes getting a lot of publicity this week. You know, a lot of new people might want to go to the game. They can't. Mm. They can't go to any of their home games nearly this season because they're going to be mostly sold out. And that's the restrictions of, of Daily Man. So I think they are for, working on the far side in terms of trying to get something done to make some sort yeah. of a terracing. But, uh, but as a week one, it's not a great, like it's it's exciting, but I'd nearly rather it was in week three or week four. But that's only just you know, be nitpicking. As a game, come Saturday afternoon or whatever, quarter to two, I still think we'll be excited about it. Um, I think for both teams, it's a, it's a weird one to start a season because the psychological impact of losing a derby can actually be a real downer. For, for either side. We've seen even Rovers in recent years off the back of the Bowes game, sometimes they've gone in and form and come out going the other way. And it's happened again. Flip side for Bowes, the first home game of the season, optimism, if you lose to Rovers, it's sort of, that's hanging over you. So it'll be interesting. I mean, Rovers did win, they have won their last two meetings. They did win the Cup semi, you'd say, sort of, quite comfortably really um, mm. and you kind of wonder is that them over the hump um, I kind of hope that that the occasion you know that there's a footballing aspect to the occasion but sometimes with this derby we know that's that's not always the case in the sense of the you know the pitch or the the, the nature of the game but um, I'm looking for I don't know what you think Paul like even like Graham Burke um, Jack Byrne these players I mean it is like a, a great statement game for Rovers maybe to announce that this is this is their year Oh, absolutely, I think we, we saw a strong finish to the season from Shamrock Rovers in particular when you think of the FAA Cup. And well, they were probably the better team against the Dock. Well, they, I think they were. I think mm. it's it, we can admit that, that they were the better team on the day. What I'm still trying to get to grips with is how they, I guess, manage having Grain and Grain Burke and Jack Byrne in the one team. And we've seen them go mm. to a five at the back and that's meant that Ronan Finish has had to push to a, a wing-back position. And with Sean Cavan out, you'll probably likely see Daniel Lafferty. So it's just how they manage having Jack and Grain who are their best players um, in the team. They're both very similar type characters. Both of them like to get on the ball and probably like to drop deep. And at times that has meant that Aaron Green has been very isolated up front. So uh, for me, it's the mix. It's that mix. It's the, it's the blend of the characters and how they maximise their ability. Because I think if they can do that well, and if Graham can score enough goals and Jack can get enough goals, well, then that will be the barometer of how far they're going to go this season, both in the league and the cup. 
Um, with regard to the fixture and the Bowes Road, was exactly what Dana said, you really don't know what to expect. Um, particularly from a Dublin derby, but also now because it's the first game of the season, it's hard to understand where they're at in regards to the preparation, in regards to the fitness, what gear they're in come start of the season. Um, so it's a bit of an unknown quantity. I think the job that Keith Long and Trevor Crawley have done has been absolutely incredible. But what you will find this year is now with the likes of Danny Manju, the likes of Danny Grant, they're not going under the radar like they were last mm. year. They're going to be marked men. Absolutely. Um, and it's how they manage that um, and how they, I guess, get the most out of those players. So the matchup is most certainly in the middle part of the pitch between Manju, Gary O'Neill, uh, Graham Burke, Jack Byrne, and Keith Buckley. And I think whoever wins that will probably determine the results. We can expect a lot of flowers to be bought extra early on Valentine's Day so League of Ireland fans can just dump the flowers and then go to games. If I were going to a game, Dan, Dundalk and Derry. What do you mean if you, if you were going to a game? If, if I were going to a game, Dundalk and Derry could be Friday an absolute partner. Who knows? What are you doing on Friday? So up, up in the air Dundalk and Derry Dan yeah, are you going to a game on Friday I'm going to Dundalk and Derry yeah, professional yeah. professional obligation yeah, yeah. Um, Derry are people have to understand what you do for a living John, absolutely you know? yeah. foundations of a good relationship Va but Valentine's Day it, it's, a, it's a long day and it's going to culminate in a bit of League of Ireland football Derry and Dundalk to me could be the best game of the round because two teams who want to play football I'm fascinated by Derry this season I'm not sure they've anyway uh, replace the players that they've lost whereas Dundalk are obviously in a more strong position Yeah I think like, you, I wouldn't be shocked if Dundalk sort of went with a team that was more so with the, the base from last year and then they might phase in the new signings rather than necessarily throwing them in there whereas Derry I think have to do that because there's been massive turnover David Parkhouse is gone Junior is gone it's a lot of goals to replace Barry McNamee is gone Greg Sloggett is gone I mean he's gone mm. to Dundalk he might be involved creating rave reviews so, so they've, they've gone and they've, they've played the overseas market and again, okay, they've brought in Conor Clifford and Conor McCormick and some guys who know the terrain, but some of the others, particularly in Ford areas, you just don't know. Mm. And it's very hard. And Derry actually were really competitive against Dundalk pretty much all the time they played them last year. Cup games, everything, they pushed them all the way, but you just think it's probably weighted towards the team that's a bit more of a known quantity. The other uh, three games we have, uh, Cork City play Shelburne, St. Patrick's Athletic play Watford, and Finn Harris plays Gligan Rovers. I think the Stephen O'Donnell story is going to be fascinating. How do you think he's going to go with St. Pat's? It's going to take time, Johnny, and I think it's it's unrealistic to expect um, to be challenging up around the top of the league. But what we did see is a certain identity to their play last year, particularly towards the end of the season. You could see um, some of the flair that he wants to bring and some of maybe the patterns of play that Stevie himself liked to, to um, associate himself with when he was playing. So it's going to take time. Um, there's a lot of new faces have come in there and it's going to take a time before he can he can stamp his authority and stamp his his real ways of playing on that side so there's still an unknown quantity they've brought in you know a couple of faces from UCD who are still young players within the league so um, time will tell with St. Pat's but um, it'd be lovely to see Stevie who has such a, an unbelievably good footballing brain you saw that when he was playing at times he was he was on one leg and he was dictating games and, and really um, managing the flow of a game so it'll be interesting to see with St. Pat's but um, I think it's a, it's a longer process and it has to be viewed as, as a uh, two to three year kind of programme as opposed to putting too much pressure on early doors Briefly who wins the league? Dundalk for me um, how brief do you want me to be? Yeah, you've about 10 seconds <laughs> I think they hurt you in more ways than Shamrock Rovers and I think they'll score more goals and in turn win more games I think that, that's interesting what he said there because Patrick Huben had a bit of a pop with Rovers they're lovely to watch but they don't hurt you necessarily Dundalk maybe have more ways of doing that and I think you're on the same hymn sheet here yeah I think so I think they're, 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 they're proven performers in terms of winning the league and I think they probably have a deeper squad but I think it's going to be closer than last year definitely yeah do you think it's going to be very close or is it going, are we talking like two or three points sort of <sighs> 
I don't know, Johnny, like, yeah. you know, maybe four or five, you know, yeah. but like, we'll see how, there's a lot of variables to consider, but I, I think the dog just to edge it, I think, yeah. You should never make early predictions. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, maybe stay tuned. Uh, I might give some sort of a prediction later on in the show, but thanks very much for listening on week one, and uh, we'll see you for week two. Welcome back to all our podcast listeners and our YouTube watchers, because I was just reminded uh, there that I said, uh, thanks for listening, Dan. Old habits die hard and all that. Yeah, I mean... There is a profound point to be made here, though. Lots of people actually don't watch TV now. They have it on the background. They're on Twitter. They're eating their dinner. I actually really, really struggle to just, like... Even if I'm eating my dinner now, I want to be on my phone. I want to be watching TV. I want to be doing two or three things. That's a reflection of your, your life, though. It's a reflection of modern life. Do you think it's everyone? Paul? Uh, I'm a bit guilty of that as well at times. Yeah, mm. it's just like... I'd love to do a, do a study of a thousand people watching a football game at home, how much of the 90 minutes they actually watch the game. Genuinely. Mm. Because a lot of the time they're just on Twitter, they're on Facebook, they're doing their texting, they're on WhatsApp. Um, they and they get, get bored opinions, very quickly. They get their opinions from that then. They need yeah. to go, they need to go mm. and get, have their views confirmed by what, like, mm. you know, what's been said in the, sort of the echo chamber. Much better off to go to a game, Dan, take it all in and watch, you know... Watch the actual game. Watch 90 minutes. Well, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you'd be known to go to a game yourself and spend a good portion of it watching racing. Yeah. So, so, like, you know, yeah, the only the only biggest true. change we have now with moving to this new environment is that you actually can't watch a race while broadcasting, which was a mm. massive feature in the previous three years. Like, Johnny's not listening to my answer. Like, why isn't he? But the 340 in Sedgefield is off. I remember you know, this, a, is, this is the big concern. I remember being at Daily Mail before and a really harsh critic of the show was like, he was obviously behind me, but he's like, I could not, he was, he says in social media, he's like, I could not get over how, how much of the game he spent watching horse race. And I was like, yeah, he's right. He's <laughs> absolutely right. But anyway, this is what it is. Corey, you're, you're back for uh, the third part of the show. This is where the hardcore old podcast listeners are still listening in. The yeah. Diehards, yeah. It's a bit yeah. more relaxed now, Johnny. You can loosen your belt or whatever, you know? We're <laughs> watching, <laughs> literally. We're just looking at the old goal scorers from uh, three seasons. Rodrigo Tosi, that was our first episode. It was like, uh, we've gone from Rodrigo Tosi to, to, to this. Kieran Joe, Sadlier to, to Junior to, to the top Joe, who we haven't team. mentioned yet. We haven't mentioned Nigel Farage. Yes. Because Brexit. And yes. That, and that is actually something that's been a massive story of the winter. And Has possibly, Nigel Farage saved the League of Ireland? Look, he's, he's an unlikely player in the game. But <coughs> we do have something to face that we're going to have to you know, get our heads around. It would seem... I'm, I, I, I wait every day to find out that... This Something's is, going to be... So basically, people mm. maybe not necessarily been following it, that uh, it does appear under the... Because of football's transfer rules and because of Britain leaving the EU... Irish kids will not be able to leave and go away from home until they turn 18. Unless they stay within the as EU. As opposed to 16, unless they yeah, stay within mm. the EU. So they can, in theory, go to Germany or France or wherever. Um, now, you keep thinking that there's going to be a way found around this. And maybe for the very elite superstar players, you'll see suddenly entire families moving over and landing new jobs in Manchester or Liverpool or Imagine London. Imagine the doing whatever. that back in the day. But the Corrie, he's the opposite. He didn't yeah. do it. He, no. he actually Stood stayed. Around. He yeah. stayed because they all had such good jobs at home and they wanted, well, they wanted, well, he wanted him to be equally well educated yeah. as the rest of them. Yeah. He's from a family full of accountants, as yeah. you tell you himself. Mm. And he's, he's, he's slandered them before. What did you say about them? A born accountant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This did kind of uh, rather annoy me a bit last year because uh, I put a bit of work into looking into the whole Brexit situation and didn't seem to uh, gain much traction because A, people were bored about Brexit or B, they just didn't think that this was going to actually happen, Paul. This could be an absolute game changer, a complete mm -hmm. game changer. And obviously, um, we can't bank on it yet, but imagine having to develop academies in Ireland and having to tell the government we actually need help to keep kids at home here. Well, it's probably the... 
the right time because there's been such a, a movement towards the League of Ireland structures and you know from 13s all the way through to 19s so it probably works in our favour in one way shape or form but it also puts a bit of pressure on clubs to, to really get their house in order but listen my opinion has always been that if the best can stay here and get an education and try to get some sort of security behind them will then do that because or even I'm, very close to the best like like 99% or 90% or yeah. whatever yeah well listen you're always yeah. going to have people who are going to going to want to go and if they want to go well and good but i think you know unless you're talking about really the elite of the elite from for me and from my point of view i think it, it makes more sense to stay at home i think even when you look at the likes of jack Byrne and jack talks about being back in dublin around his support network around with his, his mother People probably underestimate the impact that that has on on not just your mental health, but also on your performance yeah. on the, on and the I pitch. I should mention players who've left the league over the winter. You look at Conor McCarthy, Sean McLaughlin didn't leave over the winter. Mm -hmm. He left last summer. Uh, Jamie McGrath, all of whom have left with a college education, with a degree mm -hmm. of some you know of some description, because the the two Cork lads were doing stuff with UCC and Jamie McGrath at Minute. and now it hasn't stopped them from going to you know a good level and to their professional footballers, but with something to fall back on. The flip side is we're not still ready at all to have the facilities here to maybe ensure that the next Tripara, Adam Ida, Aaron Connolly can sort of have their progress unhindered. You know, and, and that's why that has to be the focus. I think if you're 15 now or within that, the 14, 15 year olds now are more to the point, their parents, I think they're pretty worried because they wonder you know, what it's going to mean for my son who has this interest. And is this, why would they is be this worried, Dan, though? Well, they are worried. So they're worried that their son may not be going away to England. Yes. I, are, find, that, I are, find that absolutely well, but crazy. That's, if you think about it, mm. that son will have probably friends who has been a year or two, if he's ever even played out of his age group, he might have one or two lads that are older who are now going away to sign some kind of deal in England and the glamour that goes with that, which is always going to be massively appealing to people, no matter what. Uh, you, you'd love to have a time when every set of parents wasn't you know, enamoured by it, but it's going to be agents and people knocking on the door. From the minute they're 12, 13, maybe even younger, they've shown any kind of ability. Mm. They're going to have people telling them, here's what you could get, here's what you could earn. And if it's, suddenly if it's taken away by a rule that you can't control, you are going to be worried. I'd prefer that they didn't have that attitude, but you have to walk a mile in their shoes as well too. And imagine you know, they might see it as well. Actually, this my, my son may not be particularly academically minded. Mm. My son may not be hanging around with a great bunch of people and, and maybe might need, they might need to go. Now, I know what my opinion is, but there is also two sides of it. Um, of course there is. Yeah. Some, some of the monies that are involved, when you're talking about elite players going to elite academy clubs, I've been speaking to people who were involved in, in the Manchester City Academy and you would be absolutely blown away, one with the transfer fees that are being paid, but then two also the wages that are being dished mm. out. And of players course, of what age though? 16 so. to, you know, 15 mm. year olds who were teed up for professional contracts at a young age. And don't don't be naive enough to think that there's not pressure and there's that's not at the back of parents' minds that they want their kids to go on. They're looking at the monies involved in the Premier League. Of course, the, the best players, I'm not naive enough to say that the best players aren't going to go. The layer below, I believe, should stay, but there's always going to be that bit of pressure. And if you're talking about Brexit and complications, of course that's going to put well, question Well, here's one for you then. There's talk of Preston and Cork maybe having some sort of an official link-up. Is that going to become a thing now whereby, um, OK, you can't bring these players over to the Manchester cities of this world, but we can have a link-up with a certain club such that we can have a mutually beneficial relationship. If there is a very good player, he can then develop and go on to whatever club it is in Britain. Yeah, like... 
I've seen partnerships with schoolboy clubs in years gone by. I remember when I was at home farm, there was Leeds United, there was Cherry Orchard and Man City. I think they're a nonsense. And yes. it never, yeah. ever meant that players were directly going to Manchester City. One, a club has to want the player. It might not fit in. They might not be looking for that position. They might not be looking for that personality. The affiliation with the club, I don't think, really has a say in regards to where a player ends up. Of course, you look at Preston, you think of Shawnee McGuire and Kevin O'Connor. They're going to have links directly into the club that they might get yeah, a bit of a nudge have to a say how it looks. They also have a clause on Shawnee McGuire set on for I'm not sure about Alan Brown, definitely on Shawnee McGuire. Uh, and that was mentioned in one of the stories today about this. And I just hope that, like, we had a situation going back in time where Kevin Doyle and Shane Long, there was clauses that were sold because clubs weren't in a position to, you know, capitalise on it. I'd hope there's more to this link than that, you know, and, and that there's there's actually depth to it. But I, I don't think, I, I can see why it's it's in vogue and could become a thing because of Brexit, as we mentioned, but I don't see what the club, what Cork really have to gain from it. Short-term investment, maybe, but beyond that, mm. what if you do have that superstar player? They're probably still always going to have the offers and you don't want to be snookered and prevented from putting them to the club that might be a bigger operation than Preston because in the context of English football, Preston are not a big operation. Mm. Yeah, I suppose uh, when we started this podcast, I remember saying that I thought we were in the middle of or the start of maybe a revolution in terms of the League of Ireland that was just after Dundalk's won obviously in the Champions League um, has our progress been checked uh, are you still very excited about where the league is going um, has what's happened off the pitch given us a real sort of fill up to actually go and achieve something now I sort of think we're in a similar place to where we've been the last couple of years and as I said a lot of these early season discussions are repetitive as I said we hope that something may well, happen we're a grossly underachieving but league. what we do have now is a different administration at the top of the FAI you know who definitely didn't have it to the forefront I'm not going to repeat myself from earlier mm. on but that is the biggest change there is no doubting this time 12 months ago was unthinkable that you could have this situation that now exists that there might actually be an open door to the league at the very top of the FAI as opposed to a closed one or maybe like throw out some scraps or maybe like, you know, don't ask any questions again or you never know what might happen. So that culture is gone. It's a more open culture. But what we've seen is that a lot of people who haven't talked to each other for years, a lot of people within Irish football don't want, don't view the League of Ireland at the top of their list of priorities. So mm. there's probably a few fights to be had before everyone can get on the same page. What do you make of the standard, Paul, from, you know, your, I think your first game in the Championship was live on TV and you got man of the match, Sheffield Wednesday, Leeds United, mm. if I remember rightly. Mm. Um, you come back to the League of Ireland, you've, I suppose you've experienced like the very good teams and, you know, the teams that maybe aren't so good, but what do you make of the standard? Uh, difficult one to put your finger on in regards to where we actually sit because I think there's such a difference between the top teams and the bottom teams. What I know, and some of the, my days in England are actually deserted from my brain I can't remember but what I do remember is when I first went over I was absolutely rocking at UCD and I was going into every game with unbelievable confidence I was going to be able to to execute on what I was capable of but I just remember going over to Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield Wednesday were a mid to, to bottom championship team and I could not get over the pace of the game the physicality of the game people being able to little bits of pieces and little ways that I would have maneuvered the ball being read so easily um, mm. and then you have to adapt and then it's only when you reflect and you think that is substantially quicker and substantially more quality on a pitch than a League of Ireland game and we can't be naive enough to think that, that it isn't but that's not to say that the top teams the likes of Shamrock Rovers and the likes of Dundalk and certain individuals amongst the league aren't capable of playing at that standard it's just that too often Shamrock Rovers can get into second gear and they can coast for three or four weeks until they meet a Dundalk or a Bowes or a Derry. Um, and that's probably where the discrepancy lies. Um, but as a whole, um, it's not bad. I don't think it's, it's, 
um, massively different than three, four, five years ago because I yeah. think mm. it's always going to be a stepping stone to the UK for the better young players. It's all, we're always going to use And there's a lot yeah. of them now. I mean, I actually was working on a piece for Friday just looking at the you know, young players to watch. I and mean, when you sit down and go through the list, you, know, you, you go mm. through like Farouja, I'm thinking of the top clubs, Dara Lee, but then you can mention Mandrew, you can mention, uh, you know, Danny a couple Grant. of, you know, Danny Grant, mm. you know, there's 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 a sort of raft, and you look up to Derry, there's some good young players there, own toll, own toll, and a lot of interest with Jack Ballone, and different names, Pats have signed a couple of guys on sort of pro contracts, and Luke McNally, Luke McNally everyone's saying in. to look at, you know, mm. who started for Drada last year, and some people think he's going to take flight this year, so, Definitely in my time watching the league, which goes back over 20 years, like yourself, like there's definitely become a younger league. It's become a lot more relevant for where careers are going as opposed to maybe an old part-time environment where maybe a lot of the guys there had reached their ceiling when they were there for whatever reason. Um, so that's the best thing about it now for me is that you actually can go and watch games and see people who are going to push on and there's a volume of them, like Enda Stevens and Matt Doherty or whoever it might be. So that, that's, that's the good thing about the league. But I don't know how we level it up in terms of making it more even playing field because you've got full-time teams at one end, the other end of the same division you might have part-time teams of a player travelling up on Thursday to play a game on Friday. You know what I mean? So like that's they're not in the same league in the championship. You never have two teams mm. from completely different worlds ever playing each other in a league match. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I am. I, I think we miss it when it's away. I know Dan mentioned the number of stories I've been mean, going on in the background, but like you said, there's nothing like quite experiencing a live game. And I think, particularly, surprisingly enough, Bowes is, is the most local club to me, and I get a lot of grief from Bowes fans. But getting down to Daily Mount and experiencing the buzz of, of a Friday night or similarly out in Shamrock Rovers or in Richmond Park, I'm really looking forward to it. I think. Each... There's always this dance, there's always that hope of the start of the year. It's like every, everyone starts on no points, mm. and it's like. Mm. Everything well, is possible. We have internationals playing within the league. There's Jack Byrne and there's Graeme Burke. And for people who don't go and watch the games, I'm always saying, go out and watch these people play. Like At times, when Jack Byrne was playing in Europe last year against Apoel, I was thinking, this fella is so capable of playing at a much higher level. And then you look at the likes of Danny Mandrew, who's come from absolutely nowhere. Both of them living with their mans. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, there's a certain um, connection the fans can make with that. Um, it's a lot more real. It's not the monies of a of a Premier League or a Championship. So really looking forward to it. Really looking to see, you know, new players come to the fore and seeing what the likes of Stevie O'Donnell can do with the St. Pats and seeing what sort of trends we come through. Where yeah. are you at the weekend? Um, I'll be at I'll be at Daily Mint on Saturday. Um, might try get to Dundalk on Friday. But Any Valentines? I keep. I told you this before, John. I keep those <laughs> cards very, very yes, close. Anyway, Dan, Dan, you're married, so you'll be at the football Friday. Yeah, no, I will be. Yeah. yeah, I'm more interested in your movements on Friday. Have you it's actually? Up in the air. It really is up in the air. Yeah. I'm glad this part of the show is part is after the TV part because <laughs> don't think she'll be watching. Um, <laughs> no, no. She's no. always subjected to the YouTube. <laughs> your um, life has changed over the last year, so I reflect your new. Here's the flowers I'm off the Daily Mount. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Well, you should. Yeah, Pat's yeah. only down the road. You know, Pat's only down the road. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for coming in. No problem. Um, for what it's worth, my prediction for the league is very, very tight. Slight preference for Shamrock Rovers, but we'll probably need to hold on to Jack Byrne for the end of the season. And I think Bowes will probably edge Pats for third place. Um, stay watching. Obviously, next week we'll be back on Air Sport One. And thanks very much for watching and listening. <laughs>